So this week has been very serendipitous at the Medical Neminous Podcast, and part of the reason is the previous episode, I believe it was, I discussed how no one was really reaching out. There wasn't a lot of interaction from the community, despite having so many of you listeners. Well, I came to find out that that wasn't completely accurate. One issue was the mail forwarding system from the website from FreeMedEd was not forwarding properly. So there's still not many people using the medical anemonist email that I've mentioned in past episodes, but they are going on to the FreeMedEd website and finding me there and sending emails. Now, I believe I fixed the issue that was there. There were a couple of responses from several months ago, one even from quite a while ago. So I do apologize if you sent something in and hadn't gotten a response for a while. They've all been responded to now. And I want to thank you for your support of the show and your kind words. It seems like a lot of you have benefited quite greatly from this and even teaching it to your kids. So that's awesome. I'm really, I'm really happy that you're able to utilize this information and find it useful in your everyday life. And I do want to make one announcement. So our book, Read This Before Medical School, has come out. We hit the number one new releases on Amazon, still on there for the paperback. I think the ebook is going up and down depending on the days, which is really awesome. So we want to raise a little more awareness for this. So we're starting a giveaway. We're going to give away three editions of Read This Before Medical School. And for this, we're using the King Sumo giveaway app. So basically, follow the link in the show notes or go to book.freemeded.org slash giveaway on or after November 5th, and you can start to earn free raffle tickets. So basically what happens, you go on there, there are daily activities, you like our social media pages, you go to our different podcast pages and stuff like that, and you will win free raffle tickets. This is going to go from November 5th to November 17th, and during that period of time, you can keep coming back to the giveaway, earning more points every day, and then King Sumo will automatically pick three winners for us at the end of the giveaway after November 17th. So take a moment right now and go to book.freemeded.org slash giveaway or check the link in the show notes to start earning your raffle tickets to win a free paper book copy of Read This Before Medical School. Welcome to the Medical Menemist Podcast, your source for memory techniques and accelerated learning in higher education. Now, here's your host, Chase DeMarco. Keegan Longwheeler is an educational technologist at the Office of Digital Learning at the University of Oklahoma. He has been a creative developer in gamified educational materials and game design for many years. In this episode, we're going to discuss how gamification plays a role in education and where the future of game design may be going for medical and other academic environments. Keegan, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How's your day going? It's going all right so far. I think I'm kind of intrigued as to this particular episode because like we discussed before, this isn't going to follow the normal outline that the audience might be used to. So it's not really touching on educational psychology or mnemonics. We're going into a new topic of gamified education, something I have a lot of interest in and something you have a lot of experience in. So I think it's going to be an interesting one. Yeah, I'm excited, Chase. So a brief introduction about you, sort of what does an educational technologist do? What is your role and how have your past experiences gone so far? 
Yeah, I guess in a nutshell, what it comes down to is I help faculty and instructors with their courses and really trying to help them push the envelope and understand what's possible. I'd say educational technologist, at least in my case, doesn't fall under IT. I'm not there to like help and manage you know, the projects or the tools themselves. I'm there to look at them pedagogically from a teaching and learning perspective. You know, How can we push one example that's always easy? Because it was one of the first ones that we worked on is, you know, how can we actually use, say, iPads effectively in the classroom? Or we're gathered here today, how can we effectively use games and what we're doing with our students? So those are the different kinds of things that I kind of work on, generally speaking. And I do a little bit of work here and there with some conferences and those side gigs and side hustles as well. So, yeah. I know from my personal educational experiences, I've gone to well so many different campuses in course online with so many different course room setups from undergrad all the way through grad school. And the course design can play a very significant role in what the student is going to see and how they're going to learn yeah. and if they're going to learn the material. It's one of the biggest challenges, honestly, in terms of, especially from the tech side, like my grandmother, she was very like into tech and she actually stayed very up to date in terms of like, she didn't necessarily have all the smartphones, but she at least had an up-to-date computer and like kind of prided herself in trying to keep up with things. But even then, right, the way she thought about things was a little bit different. So when she was doing teaching herself, she would think about things in a certain way. And then, you know, anyone that's around her would think about it in another way and really like working in community between the instructors and then folks that are a little bit have some background in the technology pieces like I think that's where it comes together and it really shines in terms of potential. Yeah, I definitely want to come back to some of the different online environments and the way that these collaborations between technologists and instructors are going and it's getting really interesting. I've been following some of them for the past year or so since my first course came out end of 2017 micro course. We can get into that later, but <laughs> first thing is uh, I did want to touch on one more personal aspect with your life. I know it was something that you have a lot of uh, passion about and with the medical audience that they might find it quite interesting. So if you want to delve into that a little bit. I uh, recently, I'll say recently still, it's been a little over a year since I've had brain surgery. I still have meningioma. So I had a, a tumor that was growing in the speech and sight region of my brain. So I had a seizure at one point. It was a lovely scare for my wife. I don't think she wants me to do that again. But, uh, you know, went in to see what was wrong. And, you know, they said they found a mass on my head and or on my brain. And, and then in my case, it actually was super quick turnaround. Like I got operated on the next day. So it just kind of like all went very, very quickly. But since the tumor is like in my speech and sight area, one of the things that I've had to come to terms with is I don't necessarily have the same level of oratory skills. And also memory pieces are just different now for me than they used to be. I used to have like, I loved my memory. I would have loved it in uh, in medical school because it was just like I could retain so much and like plan it all out and coming to terms with that that's not there anymore. My new normal is just a very different way of interacting with information and learning and all those things, both personally and then in terms of my work and every aspect. So well, if it makes you feel any better, my memory is crap. So now you're like down on my level. <laughs> Well, I don't know if I'd go that far. I imagine we're both pretty rocking in terms of what we can do potential-wise. So, 
Well, I think a lot of what we can do is also going to be very collaborative. And that's where I find uh, today's topic very interesting too. And some of the future goals, I want to get back to creating more courses online, especially when I'm not so overburdened with these podcasts and the book that's coming out next week. And uh, I'm not sure when this is going to be released, but it's coming out in October 9th. So yeah, next week. And the phone app that I'm working on. But my passion has always been the creation of these courses. I find it so intriguing to try to organize them in such a way that the audience can gain the most out of it for the least amount of time they have to spend. I think having a proper design helps that a lot. But some of the aspects that you've worked on in the past, the two main ones that I hear about or heard about when I initially came across some material from you a couple of years ago was Experience Play and Goblin. And I was hoping you could go into what those are a little bit more for the audience. I'll do them chronologically. So Goblin was first in terms of, so both of those are faculty learning communities. So they are just a professional development that me and a colleague John Stewart from the University of Oklahoma also, we had designed and put on at OU at our university, but we made it a point to like, they're published openly. So anyone can come in and take any assets they want, depending on some of the stuff, depending on what its license is. Of course, you got to follow the open licenses that are associated with them, but all of the stuff's ready and open for people to grab things and kind of do with what they want, whether they're going through and playing the Goblin kind of experience or doing anything else that they want. But Goblin, what it was, is it was, we were kind of investigating, you know, we wanted folks to be challenged of what do they have to learn from games and what do we as educators have to learn from the setup of games and how games feel and, you know, how failure in games relates to failure in real life and in the courses, like all of those kinds of questions. And we kind of wrap that into an experience that starts in a 30 minute kind of, I'll say, just because it's easier to describe Dungeons and Dragons style experience. So the attendees get to sit down and they're faced with a challenge. Everybody has characters that have different skills and they have to go through and defeat the enemies that are variable for the day. Now, the interesting thing about this, though, is like we're not just sitting down to play for 30 minutes. Each of the 30-minute sessions actually introduce the concepts of the week, and then we go on to discuss those for another hour. And then beyond that, attendees had the opportunity to participate and do homework from week to week. So they had research articles that they had access to. They had videos. They could blog. They could do all these different kinds of things. All of those activities then went and increased the power and the level of their characters. So it was kind of a cycle where it kept folks engaged the whole five weeks of the series of the session. And it was very successful in terms of data. I mean, we had better attendance than sessions where we were giving out. We had faculty learning communities where we teach people to, to use iPads and stuff. And those where they got to have iPads on long-term loan didn't have as good of attendance as Goblin did. And it was just kind of mind-blowing in terms of how much engagement that also came out of it too. This perfect kind of storm in terms of setup. We get to view it against some of these things that we've done in the past and also what we're looking at doing in the future, which then eventually went into experience play. But yeah, so Goblin is, it's about like game design, gamification, those kinds of topics in a, you know, a 90 minute kind of session where you play and discuss and do all of that. 
And I wonder if this is something you notice. Some of the educational resources and cognitive psychology resources I've heard in the past regarding the current grading system is basically how everyone starts with an A and as you lose points through every assignment and test, it doesn't have the same effects cognitively to students as if you have to build something like building a character in a game. So I wonder if that also increases the motivation for the actual grade and their success in the class, not just for the fun aspect of it being a game, but some somewhat psychologically beneficial. Yeah, I think that actually was one of the easiest sells in terms of, you know, because it's easy to incorporate into a course. Like that's just a change of mindset. I mean, I guess you're right. It's a change of design of the course, but really it's a change of mindset of the instructor. That one was really pretty widespread acceptance in terms of, oh, okay, like I see the value in that. And oh, I'm experiencing the value in that too. I'm I'm building up as a character. I'm growing and developing. And that's being shown through these levels based on what I'm learning in this faculty learning community. The other one too, that was just as a side note, was also like choice and introducing that into the classroom. That was another one that was, I would say, was more popular in terms of what folks were entertaining in terms of what they thought they'd integrate into their own courses. Okay. And then probably about a a year ago, I was really looking into some sort of create your own destination type of game for medical students, a Twine-based game probably. And most audience probably doesn't know what Twine is, but since we're going to discuss experience play, which I believe that's Twine-based as well, but uh, maybe you can explain what that is and we can discuss maybe how that could be used in the educational setting and medical setting specifically. Yeah, so Twine itself, it's also an open source tool that allows you to create text-based adventure games or choose your own adventure kinds of stories. It's very simple in terms of you have pages that can be filled with text and images and graphics and all those kinds of things that are then linked together through, we'll say a hyperlink system that kind of just links all of the content together that allows you to, as you click on each of them, traverse the content, traverse the story in whatever way that you went. It's actually like when we were looking at Goblin and kind of evaluating like what that was and then starting to look at experience play, one of the big shifts there was we were starting to look at like game-based learning and stuff in the classroom to find stuff, which was more game design-based things in the classroom. So we were looking at stuff like game design as a like game-based learning framework, I think is the best way to say that. We're looking at ways where you could introduce to students the opportunity to create something that they then go on to engage other people in. So then they are challenged to wrestle with everything that goes into making somebody enjoy (laughs) doing something, right? Like just that in of itself is a huge challenge, I think, that we don't get to experience as students while we're going through school very often. So I think those opportunities are very valuable in those contexts as well. Definitely. You're always sitting there listening to a lecture. You have no autonomy over your education. It can be very boring. And you do what I probably did most of the time is days off, sleep, something else. You're looking up games on your computer or something along those lines on social media. But if you actually have autonomy over your own education, if you have control over the decision-making process, I mean, that sounds just 
so fun, especially from something complex like medicine, where I might have four choices and maybe I don't pick the correct one initially, but that can lead me to like a step down question that's less complicated, but maybe I know that. And then I'll be like, oh, okay, that's why it was that on the last question. And it can loop around. I guess the uh, the best examples are for heavy readers. If you used to read a lot of the choose your own destination books, that'll tell you go to this page if you made that decision, this page if you didn't. But there's some good games. I think Oblivion does that a bit. I don't play many games anymore, so I'm not sure which ones do that. Or even movies. So it was the, the new Black Mirror movie kind of did that where you get to pick which action you wanted the character to do in the Netflix show. So it's really cool. I think doing that for your education would be very intriguing. Yeah. I think the part of it too, choice just in and of itself is a heavy motivator. I mean, when we're looking at games or gamification or any of these things, one of the big things to consider is where are your motivations for your students? Like, are you providing them as extrinsic kinds of things like grades or badges or any gold stars, any of those things? Is that what you're getting folks to? Are they after those or are they after the knowledge? So how can we increase the number of folks that are motivated intrinsically to go after the knowledge. I think games are interestingly placed to capitalize on those questions because everybody experiences play. I mean, you may say that you're not playing many games right now, but all humans know that feeling and what it is. And with narrative and with all of these other aspects, I think we can really bring together the fun of learning with the gruel of everyday life and all of these other things that are going on too. And I think we need to, I mean, (laughs) at the end of the day. Exactly. And when you can do these computer-based, you can do them using these Creative Commons licenses, these free open source programs, then you can widely disperse them very easily and potentially reach a lot of students that wouldn't be able to access the information or assess themselves properly otherwise. Yeah. So as far as some of the game design goes, I know I was reading some of your blog posts about team-based activities or even students versus teachers in some of these games. And the only thing I'm aware of currently that's somewhat along these lines that medical students have used, at least some of my friends used in our basic sciences a few years ago, was Habatica. And granted, that's more of a a goal-setting and habit-training game, but because they make it with your characters and wizards Mm -hmm. and you can have pets and dragons and stuff, it adds that fun aspect to usually rote boring habits. What are some of the goals or ways to incorporate better collaboration in the education with these types of gamified systems? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question because we're getting to the point now where Life RPG is another one, but like you mentioned, the Habitica app, these things are offer the opportunity for people to layer on their own desired motivations, like everyday activities. I'd heck if you want to use it to engage your kiddos in, you know, doing their homework and leveling up as a family. Like, I mean, you could sit there and do that. But I think it also offers that gold star extrinsic piece that badges offer that all of those things kind of offer. But even more than that, too, is like seeing growth. I think we all want to see that. And whether it's necessarily in our learning at the moment, which isn't always quite clear versus piece by piece every day for a year. I think both of those have their place in in our lives and in education themselves. So I think those in particular are very powerful tools that people can get 
right now, download on your phones, try them out. I had a great run with Habitica for a while and it, it was good fun because, you know, when do you want to sit down and mow or do the dishes or do any of these things? But then if you can say, oh, I'm 50 XP away from next level, which is going to allow me to go to the movies or do something else, those kinds of pieces, I think we can also. Yep. <laughs> That was the only thing I didn't like about Habatico with some of the friends that were playing is sometimes they would kind of cheat. Like, oh, I'm close there. I'm just going to say I did this, but I kind of didn't do it. <laughs> Gain that next level. But I could totally picture clan battles between different schools or the big boss fight is like your teacher at the end of the semester or something like that. That would be incredibly motivating to digitally beat up your instructor <laughs> in some of these things. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, it's, you know, you can use it in all kinds of ways. There was um, one of the faculty members that was in the Goblin sessions. He did this thing where he kind of built this choice-based mechanic into his course where students could go through and they got to select which assignments they wanted to do, such as like interviewing a professional or a content matter expert in the field and do things like that versus, you know, papers and videos and all of those things. And while they were doing those pieces, like they would earn tokens, basically, they could redeem those tokens for things like longer times to turn in papers or like the ultimate one, like if folks were really doing a lot of participation work, because not all of these things were necessarily easy, writing papers and all of those things to earn tokens. But if you're doing more writing, like uh, in his case, you could offset and not have to participate in the final at all. So, you know, if you have these big kind of motivators that lend themselves to also have people that, you know, maybe aren't great test takers, want to put more time and energy into writing, it affords that, that opportunity for them to and that brings in so many other aspects. I mean, it sounds like we're mixing behavioral economics and like affiliate marketing type incentives. The more work you put into it, the better you do, the more you get from it. And that sounds much more motivating than just, oh, your grade doesn't drop any further. You're not actually winning anything with the current method of a grading system. If you do perfect, your grade doesn't go down. You do really perfect, you don't gain anything extra. So I think that building up mentality getting awards is definitely something that'll help a lot of students keep on track and, and progress throughout their education. Yeah. And don't underestimate the physical in terms of like, I mean, I know digital is easy and we can do all kinds of things, but if folks get stickers that show that they've accomplished something, those feel fantastic. I mean, the faculty member that I mentioned with the the tokens, like he had those as physical things that folks earned in class and brought and redeemed in class. And they would stack them up on their desks to show how many they had. And it's just that interesting dynamic that goes on to showcase I've participated this much. Like I challenge you to also do this or whatever the case is, whatever is motivating them. <laughs> Showcasing your badges of honor, basically. Yeah. So the next thing, kind of wrapping up some of this conversation, I did want to discuss a little bit about some of the current platforms for education and especially free education. And I was reading your a year later blog post before hopping on here. You're talking a little bit about the Canvas network in particular, which is where my medical micro course is currently being hosted, but it might be getting kicked off of there soon, I guess, or changing up some platforms, but they do have the free for teachers platform. I saw you also mentioned Moodle. What are some of the pros and cons of using these? Or maybe even if uh, any instructors listening to this or students in the near future want to create their own content, what would you recommend or what are some of the differences? 
Well, I think the big thing is first consider what is it that you want to do in the long term? Because one of the biggest downsides to these learning management systems in our school is people don't have access to the content when the school is or when the semester is over anymore. And I think people take for granted what that means because when I was growing up and going through undergrad, for example, like I wasn't keeping track of necessarily every single one of my assignments and papers and stuff. It would have been nice to have some of that stuff to build a portfolio from because I had to do that for my last semester of undergrad. And that, of course, is school related. But I also think there's value in terms of the work that folks submit and complete themselves. Because, you know, if you have people that are doing projects that are video projects or that are building websites or any of these things and then files or anything that they have access to are just gone. I think that's not going to help us as learners advance. So what I mean to say with that is Canvas, for instance, has a setting where you can extend the time that folks have access to the courses. And that's not the answer necessarily. I think maybe a better solution is sharing some materials that you're comfortable with or giving students the opportunity to have their content published on their own websites or in their own spaces. That way they can always kind of retain their own intellectual property as they're going through school, which is what we are doing. So (laughs) I think we should also grant that opportunity to students as well. Yeah, I think uh, especially for anyone that's tutoring, which a lot of students do, especially in graduate school, whether it be to test their own grit or to earn extra credits or uh, even tuition reimbursement, like to tutor. So the materials that they make there, the presentations that they give should be kept and useful later on. But as you said, putting an LMS on your own website, for instance, is a hassle. And if you do something like Thinkific or Teachable or one of those, then you have potentially hefty monthly fee, depending on which you know one you do. Moodle's free, Canvas can be free, but Moodle I always hear is really hard to set up. So it's like there doesn't seem to be a good, and I'm kind of using this selfishly too because I'm currently looking of where to put my course. Uh, Canvas said they were going to get rid of it in I think July, and we're currently recording this October 2019. So far, it's still up there, but I will need a place to move it to. And for others that are kind of in the same boat that have these free courses up there, don't want to charge, but do want extra services. Like I think Teachable, you can't have a graded report or graded quiz or something unless you have the pay version. Just trying to find a a better option, I guess, for some of us out there in lower educational circles. It's a real issue that you bring up there because, I mean, one thing that I do with this may not be wholly representative, but like some of my old website, I use a tool called SiteSucker on my Mac and I can basically like download my entire site as an HTML site. So I take, say, a WordPress site that I don't intend to change anymore and I can download it down or I can download it to just a megabyte or two megabytes worth of files really quickly and then re-upload those to the same place, the same place being the same URL that's accessible. And that's kind of one of the long-term storage solutions I have for some of personal content. You may not know the solution, but there are definitely solutions out there. And I'm just saying that generally for everyone in terms of archiving and doing all of these different things, both personally and for students. So interesting. Okay. Well, are there any parting resources or thoughts for the student audience? If you're just now getting into some of this, I highly recommend one of the easiest way is G's book, What Video Games Have to Teach Us About Literacy and Learning. And don't be scared off by the video games part because it's really like the deep dive into learning and what learning looks like as literacies is just so interesting and evocative, I think, in terms of what learning actually looks like. But the fun part of 
about it, I think, is a book. Like why stands more of a test of time. There's so much open vulnerability as the author is going through and saying like, hey, I was playing this with my kid because he kind of like got all the way into World of Warcraft. So going all the way into the deep end and talking about that journey and what that's like. It's really interesting to see someone that isn't necessarily a game player does and thinks in those spaces. So that's definitely what I would recommend. And then you should definitely jump into Twine if you haven't to at least give it a try because it is relatively accessible as a tool. Like anything, there is some learning with it, but I think it has a lot of value. And then of course, if you want anything from experienceplay.education or goblin.education, feel free to grab those resources and share out or do whatever you need with them. Great links all in the show notes for the audience if you didn't catch all of them. But I'm kind of curious about that book also, as I used to be a gamer a long, long, long time ago, haven't been for probably 15 or so years at least. So to get his perspective, I might be able to relate to that quite a bit. Where can the audience find you if they want to ask more information about your projects or maybe join them? I am on Twitter at Keegan SLW. You can reach out to me. I'm not a super active user like I used to be, but I'm pretty dedicated to at least checking the messages and stuff. So you can reach out to me there or through my website, which is also KeeganSLW.com. If it's Keegan SLW, then it's probably me. So any of those kinds of things are me and you can reach out to me in those places. Perfect. Keegan Longwheeler, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Cool. Thanks for having me, Chase. 